What is up, everybody? Welcome to the 44 Formula One podcast. Today we are recapping the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. I will give a quick general recap here, go over in depth what we saw in the DFS streets over on DraftKings and cover uh, some some betting stuff that we noticed uh, from the raced weekend as well. I'm your host, TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS at 444.com. Today, I'm with Sam Hoppin, the data analytics manager at BetSperts and 444. Sam, what's up, buddy? How you doing? I'm doing great. It's uh, it's fun to be here. We were talking right before the show. It's uh, it's a fun to be back in content creating world. For the past couple of months, I've been in model building, projection, site building world, and it's nice to nice to be back, especially talking about my my newest passion in Formula One. Yeah, I mean, uh, before we get into everything today, uh, I've only been doing the shows with Dan so far. So talk a bit uh, about your DFS one, uh, your DFS, your your betting background, and then your um, interest or history in F one. Sure. So I've I've primarily played uh, NFL DFS in the past. Have gotten a lot more into betting, which we'll we'll talk about here in a little bit as it relates to Formula One as well have primarily again written and done content on the redraft side of things but uh very interested in the dfs side of things for formula one specifically i've been a a lifelong fan of formula one since the beginning of january this year i like many people got into formula one through drive to survive and so the last two weeks have been the first two live races that I've watched and I feel like I've been spoiled just with the races that we've had. Um, but yeah, excited to, to talk through this. And I mean, I've been learning a lot too about some of the more nuances about formula one recently about this type of DFS too. This is obviously a little bit closer to what we see in like NFL showdown slates, as opposed to your main slate type uh, DFS, but is it makes it that much more interesting and challenging and uh, a bit more to to research as well. Yeah, no, no matter what you're, you're doing, it's always going to be a little more exciting if you got, uh, you know, a, a couple shekels riding on on the sport of choice. Uh, we we've talked about this with Dan, like we're not going to pretend to be experts at all on f1 um technical analysis there is a a ton of content um on youtube or or just any really f1 channel there there's a lot of very knowledgeable uh follows uh shows articles but i think we can at least um we we can pose as experts because it is such a new game to dfs so no matter how much people have watched formula one before there are just nuances to dfs that people like us are going to have the advantage in especially with a, a brand new game we only have uh two weeks of dfs history in formula one uh so we can go through what we've seen so far what we expect to happen in dfs and and also in the betting markets and have an advantage even if you don't know a, a a lot about formula one even if you know nothing about formula one i mean you think about uh the the kind of like the the film versus data argument in nfl and i am 
strongly on the data side. And I think from a fantasy standpoint, especially with daily fantasy, I think you could be phenomenal at pretty much any daily fantasy game without watching one second of the sport. So I, I think that should be an encouragement to people that are thinking about playing Formula One DFS that haven't got into the sport yet. Um, I, I think a show like this and the data that we have been putting out and will continue to put out can really help you uh, formulate a very competitive lineup. And we've been very competitive. Uh, we haven't got that first place yet, but um, in the, the big f- tournament, I, I've been uh, one lineup behind the first place both weeks. Um, the game is going to continue to evolve dfs is never going to be easy uh the players are going to evolve the uh the the websites are going to evolve to make the games tougher um but these brand new niche games and that's what i like about it is it's brand new it's it's really a good time to dive into these things and, and be out in front of it so if you haven't checked out formula one yet um i'd really encourage listeners or or viewers to go back to our first podcast the bahrain recap and dan and i over the first 20 or 30 minutes just go over why we think formula one dfs and 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 betting is really exciting but let's jump into saudi arabian grand prix it was a fantastic race um let's just talk just just a general recap as as casual viewers what jumped out to you uh what surprised you from the race so i think Obviously, don't want to bury the lead here. Verstappen won the race, beat Charles Leclerc by uh, a couple of seconds there. And going into the last couple of laps, there was a sentiment of, was Verstappen going to win, excuse me, learn from what happened the week prior when he overtook Charles a little bit too early in the race. And Leclerc was able to recover from that come back and and win the race. It ended up not being that way. Verstappen took the took home the win and I think that's you know obviously a big deal especially for Red Bull who didn't get any points the week before in the constructors or the drivers championship both cars petered out at the end. And so locking that up it, yeah, I mean it's it's going to be Red Bull and Ferrari for most of the way until we see Mercedes or some of the, one of these other teams try and jump up into the top tier. Yeah. From, from a fan perspective, I mean, you talked about being spoiled with the first two races with all the new regulation changes this year. That's why it's, it's really exciting for um, brand new or newer formula one fans with anybody that, that is a a drive to survive um, with the drive to survive entry into formula one. Um, is really getting spoiled because we are seeing the overtaking. We are seeing these really nuanced changes in strategies to where uh, teams are trying to figure out how, how to be good. Like if, if you watched last year or the year before in those situations, Max would usually just power through, get the overtake, and then there was nothing they could do. Um, now we're, we're seeing these little nuanced uh, strategies. We've seen it two weeks in a row now where Max overtakes too early. Charles kind of lets him overtake because he knows once he gets out of that corner, he can open up DRS and re- and, and take over again. We actually saw that play out um, with, with a couple laps to go. And then when Max did the final overtake, we saw he he kind of backed off. He, he realized what happened a few times in the race before once, and then he got that final overtake and there was nothing Leclerc could do about it. So that was really exciting um, uh, to, to watch. Um, 
like you said, we saw Mercedes still struggling with that. They had a setup issue um, in qualifying, and then we ha- saw them have another big pit stop error, just leaving Hamilton out there forever um, and not being able to recover from a very late pit stop. Obviously, uh, a few yellow flags um, had had to do with that, but um, just just a little bit of bad luck, but a lot of errors from Mercedes. One thing that was really surprising, and we talked about um, internally this course, uh, uh, this this race track at Jeddah in Saudi Arabia, a very high incident the year before. Um, we saw cars really struggling um, in qualifying. We saw uh, Mick Schumacher have that really tough crash. Uh, no incidents except for the solo crash from Latifi, but we did see five cars retire from overheating or cooling problems. So still ended up with a lot of variance there. Something else that surprised me, um, or, or that was just at least encouraging, McLaren getting into the points with Lando Norris, obviously five cars retired. Um, but kind of goes to our point from last week of we still don't really know a lot about who the the best teams are in these these mid or even lower tiers. So uh, McLaren just being the worst team besides Williams in the first race and then looking pretty competitive, at least with the middle tier guys um, this week. So that was fun. Anything, um, any other takeaways or, or disappointments from the race before we get into some, some betting and DFS talk? So the one thing that, I noticed right at the beginning of the race, you know, you talk about Hamilton was he had a different tire strategy to start than the field once again. And that didn't really work out for them last week. He was on the hard tires. I think there was one or two other drivers on the hard tires to start. Uh, His teammate, George Russell was not. And it looked, you know, kind of from the start that it might not have paid off again but he was able to i mean he made it to lap 39 without switching the tires was able to get all the way up to i think p6 or p7 and then obviously you mentioned the sort of misfortune with the pit stops uh under the yellow flag not being able to really take advantage of that but again it seems like mercedes is just trying to throw things at a wall and see what happens to get some sort of advantage. The other couple sort of general takeaways, I guess these are more from a a DFS perspective. There is late morning news uh, to be paying attention to, which, you know, we, we had talked about before Bahrain, even it's like, well, from qualifying to the beginning of the race, like you're going to have all this time to set your lineups and nothing's really going to change. But we saw uh, Yuki Tsunoda did not even get to start the race. We saw that there was uh, an issue with Carlos Sainz's car, which they ended up fixing, but I'm sure that took some ownership away from Sainz potentially. And and so it's, again, like we've got the next race, which will be in two weekends, which is midnight central time. And God knows there likely aren't going to be people staying up that late. And if you can, you might get an advantage there. Not that, you know, stuff like that's going to be happening every week. And then the last sort of overall F1 takeaway is Latifi's just, I, I don't know what's going on with him. Like I saw the the most reactions I saw on Twitter were, oh my God, Max and, you know, Charles is going to be a battle. And it's like, what the heck is Latifi doing in Formula One right now? So he likely is not going to be making it into many of my lineups going forward. But uh Yeah certainly an interesting driver yeah um i mean from going back to your point from from uh 
a DFS perspective and to a lesser extent, a betting perspective. I mean, still relative to, to other sports, like there just isn't going to be a ton of news before the race. Um, having signs, uh, signs had some car issues an hour before, and then um, Yuki not even been able to start. Um, those type of things, especially like with the with the Red Bull power system, I, th I think will get ironed out as we get into the season. Stuff like that is going to happen, and I think it is going to be the gift and the curse of Formula One as a DFS sport, especially um, for us in the U.S. You talked about the race next week's. Um, it's a it's a one a.m. Eastern time start, I believe. Um, so there there are going to be spots where uh, some people aren't going to play because of those time restraints, but that's in a in a could be a positive because it keeps it a niche um but there there are just going to be th those weird times whether it be super late uh, in two weeks or you know that once we get into the the um heart of the schedule if you're like if you're on the west coast uh you know some 5 a.m start times where there's going to people just aren't going to either stay up or get up to to check those things an hour before the race and we saw it even yesterday with it with a very um forgiving start time i still saw a ton of um of yuki snowda lineups um in the field so uh yeah if, if even if you you know have a contingency plan and wake up you know 30 minutes before it and go through a couple of clicks. Um, I, I think it'll be, um, I think it, it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out with the very interesting times that we're going to have um, coming up. So uh, let's get into um, DFS. Really the meat of this podcast is, is us really going to be dissecting what's going on in F1 DFS land. Um, what was your just kind of like, what, what's been your approach to DFS over these first couple of weeks? And, and what was your prep like going into this week? Yeah, so I think so. My approach, I've been doing you know three to five lineups ish, and I think it's it's trying to obviously ownership is the big part here with any of these smaller lineup teams, but trying to find obviously the right guys to fade and looking at sort of grid position relative to expectation going into the week. So uh, I'm trying to think of an example from last week, uh, but fading the guys that might be starting higher on the grid that really shouldn't belong there and then targeting the guys that are lower on the grid that should be up higher. Now, it was difficult to do that with a guy like Lewis Hamilton this past week because he just costs so much. And so it's tough to fit him into a lineup that, really makes sense. But, you know, something that you guys have, have also talked about, which is these plus five bonuses, which really swing things at the bottom of the sort of leaderboard for fantasy points and taking into consideration both ownership there and, you know, going for the guys that might be at the bottom of the grid that are only separated by their teammate by two or three spots because I think at that point like it's not there's enough going on in these races where so much can go differently that if you're spending an extra $400 on one guy that's three spots below if you're catching you know 20% less ownership then you've got a huge advantage for sure. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about that when we when we get to the results um obviously we only had uh one data point of, of races to look back on and that was kind of my thinking too is that people were just really going to overvalue um uh, 
like the the uh, Lance Stroll, uh, Nico Hulkenberg was one that that really stood out. Um, I, I think Hulkenberg was thirty eight hundred, Stroll was thirty four hundred. Stroll was starting a couple of great places ahead, but they're both on a very bad team. So we we were thinking that Stroll's just going to get uh, probably not not exponentially high, but significantly higher ownership than Hulkenberg, um, which just doesn't make sense from those lower team spots um, because one we just don't know a lot yet about which teams are, are good or bad. I mean, at, at this point, I think we could say like Austin Martin and Williams are, are probably the tours teams. Um, but, uh, but also just what drivers are, are going to be better. And people are after one race, it seemed like people were just going to be overconfident um, in these type of things. And again, just with going into the second week ever of formula one DFS, one thing that I really wanted to at least be cognizant of um, was that people there there was going to be a fair amount of the field that was going to treat results from week one like it was gospel and and what i mean by that is um we we barely saw any incidents in, in bahrain um the there was the cars that retired were were because of engine troubles or or overheating issues we didn't have incidents we we thought we would see a lot more in, in Saudi Arabia obviously did it but just at least accounting and understanding that that makes the race different um, and then lineup building strategies we saw captain constructor stacks just absolutely dominate in the first week um, I, I thought about you know exploring some different type of stacks maybe stacking two drivers together having lineups that avoided the captain constructor um, stacks and then kind of thinking through ways to be unique we saw so many duplicates in the first week that how can we one build some unique strategies and two get away from the obvious pay up for red bull and ferrari and pay down for like these there was like you know a player pool of five guys that fit into those lineups how can we get away from that whether it be you know playing the hulkenberg over the the lance stroll or just trying to get some um mid salary guys in um and to your point about the the plus five bonus for those that don't know if you beat your teammate you get five points and when you compare that to the overall scoring system you get 25 points for first place so 20 percent of first place scoring goes you know you could come in 19th and still get five points if your teammate finishes in 20th so that makes it very we have to pay very close attention to even the worst teams and i think it's it's what really makes it exciting as a new f1 fan we care about Lance Stroll and Latifi and Albon and all these guys that if you're just watching as as even a, a drive to survive fan, you just might not be that interested. So um, it, it's been really exciting so far with that. And back to your point about Hamilton, um, it was a really interesting nuanced spot this week because really the only way you have ceiling outside of winning and beating your teammate is being able to really climb up the grid. And there just aren't a lot of cars that are going to be able to do that. It's going to take like a, a Red Bull or a Ferrari, you know, not getting out of, of Q2, probably an incident, like a, a crash or something like that. Those are going to be the, the uh, teams that could really climb the grid that you could predict it. Hamilton was still too expensive. You need to have for for where he was at. I think he was at ten point um, was he at ten point two? I believe he was in the the five digit salary. And you you need winning upside to be able to to roster that. So like we calculated his ceiling. I think it was like if he came in fifth, he he would have scored twenty one points. 
yeah. still that that just wasn't enough to, to justify the salary. I think the other thing too, and I'm trying to remember the point you were making, but trying to think about like, you know, history as gospel is people thinking they know like who the driver A and the driver B is on teams. And I think, again, having watched Drive to Survive more recently, they sort of play that up a little bit more than I think actually is, you know, used in actual race strategy. And that's normally when, again, you have a guy like Hamilton who is in contention for the driver's championship and swapping him with George Russell, you know, isn't going to really impact Russell that much. The team, you know, standings are pretty much going to stay the same, but we saw with the Alpine and uh, sort of race between Ocon and um, Alonzo. Alonzo. I mean, that lasted like 20 laps. It seemed <laughs> yeah, like, and, yeah. and they were just like, have at it, like go do your thing. And uh, at one point on the radio, the, the manager was like, yeah, like they'll figure it out. They'll, you know, they'll race for the team at some point. And those bottom teams are just like, we'll take any points we can get. We'll, you know, we don't have a favorite at this point. And so I think though there are with Red Bull, Ferrari and Mercedes, the driver A and driver B, but outside of that, there really isn't. And so to try to think, you know, who those drivers are is a bit of a fool's errand. Yeah. And that actually really played into the results, specifically the Alpine team um, battle. And let's kind of like use that as a jumping off point to what happened in in the DFS contest because we saw Alonzo and Ocon really battling it out and um, Ocon was to me that was actually the most interesting decision point of the entire week in DFS because uh, I thought we, we were it seems like Alpine has two very strong cars. They have two very strong drivers. And for for those that aren't familiar, Fernando Alonso has a history of like not giving a hell about the team. Like he's going to race to to have the highest finish. Um, and we don't. We, we saw yesterday. We don't know. They're not going to say tell one of their drivers to back off. At least not until one of them separates themselves. But. Alonzo was 600 more than Ocon. They both qualified very well, but we saw Ocon come in at 48% ownership compared to just 21% for Alonzo. And I I was actually very heavy on Alonzo because I figured that's how the ownership would play out. But also because I thought there was some value to really attacking this salary range um, from Alpine. One, because they were both like in this awkward salary range where everybody was trying to jam in Ferrari and Red Bull and go down to the cheaper guys. Um, and just because I, I thought that there was an outside chance with the with the relatively high likelihood of incident that like Alpine could get a double podium or even, you know, like two top five finishes. Um, so I had a few Alpine um, constructor teams, um, even had uh, an Alonzo team sprinkled, uh, captain team sprinkled in. What I didn't account for is that they'd be pushing each other so hard that would actually it would end up screwing them at the end. Uh, unfortunately, it was my guy Alonzo who I was higher on. But let's talk through some of the things that we saw, in addition to um, you know Alpine Alpine battling. Uh, what stood out for you? And we'll we'll just kind of go off of the the biggest tournament DraftKings has. They had a two hundred thousand dollar prize pool, fifteen point seven k entries, a fifteen dollar buy, and the winning lineup was Captain Verstappen, uh, Leclerc, 
Oban, Latifi, Hulkenberg, and then Red Bull for Constructor. That lineup was duped 43 times. The $50,000 first prize was split up to about $2,200 in change. So we saw Verstappen captain stacked with Red Bull um, Constructor. That was the one of the big things that, that came out from the first race, that captain Constructor stack. Um, but what stood out to you, whether it be from what you saw from lineups, what you saw from building yourself, um, just any any kind of DFS takeaways you noticed. Yeah, so you put out this really great chart, um, I believe yesterday, looking at, again, the some trends for cash lineups and top 1% of lineups for both tournaments individually and then for just sort of both tournaments combined over the last couple of weeks. And a couple of things, this week's leaving salary on the table – didn't really matter. Uh, only 1% of the top 1% of lineups, which uh, might be zero, um, left a thousand or more dollars on the table. Uh, again, all winners sort of seem to continue to use 98% or more of their salary. We also saw that, again, stack, stacking your captain and constructor isn't really needed to cash, but it is to win and you need to have the winner in your captain lineup because again, the the fantasy point scoring, which is something that I wonder if, I don't know if they'll change this year and we can, we can get to that a little later, but Verstappen, you know, as the captain scored, I think about 50 points, the next highest, and this is just among drivers, but the next highest is Leclerc at 30 and then everyone else is below 20 points. And, and so it's really about a stars and scrubs approach, which is again, something that I've been trying to do. And it's just a matter of picking the right scrubs, if you will, and and trying to balance ownership through them, then through the top, I think with your captain and constructor, because those guys are always going to be near the top. They're always, you know, they're, they have the name brand. So the sort of more casual people, are going to be leaning towards them a little bit more as well. And so, like you said, the Alonzo versus Ocon, the Hulkenberg versus uh, Stroll stuff, like that's where you're really going to get an edge, I think. So those are those are some of the big things that that stood out to me. Yeah, and, and again, this is why... Um... I'm glad you brought up two points, how people, the salary thing, I think that was just a function of, of DraftKings. They adjusted salaries enough to where they were, they were, they're still not sharp in a sense that um, it's, it's getting us away from like these very obvious lineup builds, but at least it, it, it forced people like to, to, um, to make some decisions. Whereas in that Bahrain race, we just didn't have a lost Sam, but I'll keep going. We just didn't have a, uh, a hindrance for us to um, to not leave tons of salary on the table. So just salaries being tighter kind of forced what we saw this week with, with more of the top line of season, more salary. But that captain constructor stack, even though we still saw 98% of the top 1% of lineups um, stack their captain to constructor, uh, we saw the cash lineups drop from 81% in the first race of, of lineups that cash stack captain constructor. It dropped down to 68% in the second race. Just because this high percentage of teams is and the winners have stacked Captain Constructor, I do still think you're making a mistake if all of your lineups are stacking Captain and Constructor. 
Ferrari as a team, as a constructor, actually scored more points than Red Bull. And Sergio Perez only scored 2.6 more fantasy points than Carlos Sainz. So even though we've seen it show up in the results, there's going to be races where just the way the fantasy points play out, you're, it's not going to happen because there's going to be times where a, the winner the winner's teammate isn't going to do well. So even though you're going to get those winner points in both spots, you're going to have a constructor team that, that if it, you know, if it comes out that we see the podium, like we did yesterday with double Ferrari, but then, you know, if Perez crashes or has like a 10th finish, that captain constructor lineup wouldn't work out. And I, I do think like you're going to pretty much always need to, get that winner into your captain spot. That doesn't mean always playing Verstappen and Leclerc there. Like they're just, there are going to be races where random people win. Um, so you are going to need to have some randomish lineups. Like I said, I had some Alonzo captain teams yesterday, but I, I do think there will come a time where the, the captain isn't the winner. And, and that's going, that's going to be like, not something we could predict, but it'll be something where Leclerc leads the entire race and then Verstappen overtakes him at the end. He'll get all of those like leading lap points for the whole race, but then come in second place. A situation like that could play out. But um, but but I just think the, the biggest point is that we saw Captain and Constructor in the winners um, still. I, I don't think you should have it in 100% of your lives. But the thing I really want to dive into um, is the ownership. So like you talked about those, those lower level and mid-tier teams. Um, there were a couple really big ownership advantages yesterday. Not all of them played out because we had some incidents, but what, what did you see in terms of the ownership uh, from the, the big tournament yesterday? So quite honestly, the biggest thing, and this might've been because his price was pretty high. I think it was seventh or eighth highest is Kevin Magnuson only had a 14% ownership despite knowing ahead of time that forgetting his name now uh Schumacher was not going to race and so Hulkenberg uh, excuse me Magnuson was automatically going to get the plus five from that and I mean that's just that's that's pretty huge for for some of these drivers he was starting 10th on the grid so not super great but a chance to definitely score points as well but that was again one of the bigger shocks to me i mean you mentioned that the fact that sonoda still had about 10 percent ownership despite not even starting and so that's you know some people just not not paying attention to the pre-race stuff or, or things like that which i think you'll you'll continue to see and, and not that those are going to be super super frequent as well but the fact that I think the last thing is Hamilton still carrying again about as much ownership as as Magnuson as well, and that's people sticking on to the past and thinking that they're magic magically just going to figure things out. He's going to be able to overcome these issues, and you know we talked on on Saturday how you had I think zero of your twenty lineups with without Hamilton or yeah. zero yeah, I, with yeah. Hamilton. Um, and so that's, it. it's tough to, it's tough to not roster Christian McCaffrey or, <laughs> right. uh, yeah. you know, Tom Brady or who Patrick Mahomes, whatever, but there are so many 
he's got to overcome so much in that specific scenario. Um, you know, you did mention the massive discrepancies between Ocon and Alonso. It seems like grid position is quite literally going to be the biggest indicator of ownership and that, I mean, it makes sense because you do have quite a bit of advantage over some teammates as well. Um, you know, when you're starting four, five, six positions ahead of them, or in, in Russell's case, nine spots spots ahead of him. And, you know, again, a little bit more shocked to not see Russell's ownership higher as well. But the, the grid position is just going to change things so dramatically each week. Yeah, and and I think for people that are new to DFS, um, that's where, besides the the lineup building that that I think people are really going to latch onto and, and just really mimic what we've seen from the top. Um, I think we're in any DFS contest we're going to get our biggest advantage from exploiting ownership, and since we haven't seen it play out yet, to where the top teams or the the high ownership guys um, haven't stumbled we're, we're going to see that advantage increase people are just going to keep leaning harder into these expected sure things and it's going to give you a higher likelihood to lap the field when the unexpected happens so i mean you mentioned lewis hamilton which like not even just him being rostered 13 percent, he was in four percent of captain lineups where his chance of winning the race was virtually zero there was just the the way mercedes is running like for him to, I know four percent doesn't sound high, but with um, with Red Bull and um, and Ferrari commanding so much captain ownership, that still ranks him pretty high among other drivers that are that are getting captain ownership. It was it's just egregious. Um, on top of that, you mentioned the the three examples that really stood out to me for ownership were Alpine, Austin Martin, and Williams. I already talked about Ocon and Alonso. They only started two positions apart. Alonso was $600 more, but we saw um, Ocon in more than twice as many lineups. Um, go down to Williams. Albon was starting two positions ahead, only $200 more. He was in 35% of lineups versus 18% versus Latifi, so twice as many. And then Austin Martin, Lance Stroll, he did start four grid spots ahead, 13 uh, versus 17th for Nico Hulkenberg, and he was 3,400. But his ownership was 38% versus 14% for Nico Hulkenberg. So more than double. So these guys are all starting within two to four grid spots of each other. They're all in very poor teams, and they're at a track that is known for very high incident rate so sure the likelihood of getting the plus five is higher but i would actually argue that their upside is lower because these are teams that we don't expect to get into the points but they can still climb the grid you still get points for that so someone like latifi and albon albon i i'm, I'm pretty i would confidently say albon's a better driver than latifi but they're on a very poor team they're both starting in the bottom five and if if there's a couple incidents on the track and Albon's involved in it, Latifi not only can get the plus five just from finishing at a high incident rate, if he somehow finishes 13th, he's going to get the the, the plus five. You know, um, the he's going to climb five grid spots where Albon started 16th or, or someone like Lance Stroll starting 13th. It's going to be really hard for them to climb into the top 10 because they're competing with a lot of good drivers in that 7 to 11 or 12 driver range. It's just going to be really hard to climb. So when you could combine point upside with low ownership, I think we're going to start getting... A, 
it's going we're gonna have a lot of revenge and it almost played out that way i mean hulkenberg got there um but you know latifi crashes and then alonzo's car um craps out late that could have easily happened to the same drive the other driver on the same team and then all of a sudden you know the lineups that were if you had an alonzo latifi hulkenberg lineup I mean, you're you're separating yourself from the field like crazy. So I think we should really be paying attention to those things um, in the weeks coming up. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's that the point you make about getting you know, the difference between 15th and 10th is not insurmountable. The jump from 10th to 5th is exactly yeah. much, much more difficult because those guys, I mean, again, the first the, the Bahrain race both Red Bulls crapping out at the end is not going to be the case every single week. I mean, they they both finished, they both finished strong this past week. And, you know, it's, uh, I lost my train of thought here, but it's it's a much bigger hill to climb yeah. in those spots. And, you know, we saw Lando Norris was able to get from 11th up to 7th. He was like a 10th of a second away from, from 6th. So that I think is one of the few examples there, but there's just as much room for Lando Norris to drop down the rankings as there is and probably not as much room for him to move up as well. And that's actually that last point. There's as much room for him to move down. I think that's, that's really important because there are negative points in formula one DFS. So that's another thing we talked about this before we, we talked about this before Bahrain. I actually think you were the one that brought it up that we're going to have spots where bad teams qualify well so we're like say um say uh alexander albon for whatever reason or nicholas tifi for some reason they get through to q3 and they start ninth or tenth their ownership's going to be through the roof because they're probably gonna have cheap salaries and they're starting so high and they're gonna have so much downside like those are going to be amazing ownership fades when they happen bad teams that qualify well are typically going to be really good ownership phase i think obviously we're only two weeks in but just if, if you think through how these races play out you have a lot better a lot drivers a lot faster cars behind them that that it's going to be really hard for them and then you're going to get negative points from high ownership guys these are going to be great spots yeah and it's you know that's what i was sort of pointing out to you a little bit i mean hamilton we talked about the upside case there because they do still have a better car than you know probably maybe two thirds of, of the grid, but his price was just very restrictive this week. And I don't think that's going to go down. Um, it's really in those sort of middle tiers where you're going to take advantage of that. I mean, uh, let me see Lando Norris here was only 12% owned. He was 6,800. So very easy to, to fit him potentially into a lineup with, uh, Verstappen and Leclerc, uh, depending on how you, you fit the rest of your lineup. And just thinking through those types of things of what are the cars? I, I mean, even at the top with Verstappen only commanding, I mean, he had 36% ownership compared to 51 and 48 for Charles and Sergio. Respectively, he had the third highest captain percentage and you're, I, I don't think, you know, if he ever does like start 10th on the grid, that's going to be a case where you're going to want to fade him because it's going to be such a big 
gap. You know, granted his his car looks better than than the Mercedes right now, but it's still it's so restrictive with those higher salaries. But if you can catch a little bit of an ownership dip for fin- you know starting fourth and you know getting less ownership a captain or, or driver is is going to be huge yeah and that that's my final ownership point was actually on on max um i knew we would be getting an ownership discount at the captain spot i didn't think it would be so big i think he was like he might have been for i think he was 50 no 38 percent or something ownership um captain in in bahrain i thought he would be down like 25 to 30 range i thought i I thought he would split pretty evenly with leclerc and sergio he was down at 19 percent captain and like if max is starting in the top four that's just egregious because he was still like his betting odds were still i think 265 i think he still had the second best odds to win the race depending on the book um so to be able to be overweight on him at a captain spot, even though I didn't end up taking down this tournament, having 60% of my lineups with Max and my captain just really put me ahead of the field. So I, I still ended up having a profitable day almost on that alone. Um, but it, it was there, there's a lot to take away from from DFS. Again, we'll, we'll have strategy leading up. We got two weeks till the next race. Um, betting markets are still pretty um pretty limited in what they offer uh dan and i talked about s- some interesting ones max was probably uh the the one of the best bets anytime you could get max at, at two at plus 250 or 260 uh starting in the top four it's almost always going to be an auto bet uh they had um uh, what was it a uh, the an incident um a safety car was, was minus 1000 dan kind of joked it should have been minus 10000 but still like that happened you know it, it we had, we ended up with I, I think um two virtual safety cars and a real safety car so like that was uh, a pretty easy one anything stand out to you from the betting markets in terms of bets that you hit bets you didn't hit um variance between sports books anything like that so i went uh, a very on brand 4 for 4 on my bets this past week, which was nice. I think a couple of things, you know, as I was thinking through it this morning is to sort of target the chaos picks, if you will, earlier in the week where the odds on, you know, some of the the worst drivers, even to finish top 10 or top six are going to be worse. Because again, if they have a good grid position, then the odds are just going to shift massively. But you and then targeting the sort of favorites later on after qualifying, because, again, Verstappen, we saw his odds go down quite a bit because he was starting fourth and there was still a good shot for him to win the race. And again, I I think for some of these drivers, the Red Bull and Ferrari drivers specifically, if you're in the top four, you've got a chance to win each week. And that's a case where, you know, if, if Leclerc was starting fourth in, in Saudi Arabia, like he's probably the bet to make just from a value perspective as well. One type of bet that I'm, I want to get more into bet MGM actually has had some non teammate matchups, you know, on most books, you'll get matchups just, you know, with each of the teammates who's going to finish higher. And it's always, very highly juiced towards whoever's starting at, you know, ahead in the grid. So I was able to take 
Like I got, I took Hulkenberg at I think plus two seventy five to finish over Stroll, which ended up working out well. And again, that was sort of a thing where it's like these guys don't really have a driver A or driver B. We're expecting some amount of chaos, and and it worked out well. But again, it, it's going to be it's similar to ownership in a sense of if. Yeah, like there was, I can't remember who it was, but like it was Hamilton versus someone else. And it might've even been like Lando Norris. And like, those are, those were like minus one. Yeah, I think it might've been Botas. I think it might've been Botas. Maybe maybe it was Botas. Um, But it's still like, I don't know. Though the the non-teammate stuff is going to be, I think, an area to exploit as well. Yeah, I, I think... A couple things and and i don't have um legal sports betting in california so take what i say with a grain of salt but learning uh through osmosis through guys like like you and dan and the rest of, of everyone at betsperts and, and for for betting f1 wise uh a lot of that value is going to come with early week betting like like you said you're like max and and, and leclerc are always going to have the best odds early in the week um you know so so betting them at, at plus 115 or whatever on a monday isn't going to get you much but you know betting the guys that could move up um can get you a lot uh, and those matchups just just seem uh really exciting if they start to add more of those matchup bets i think that especially with the, the it it's very similar to player props right if we're doing this kind of like like dfs analysis they kind of become intuitive it, it's not going to take a ton of research on your part since you're already doing it um and then just the these race props um bahrain there were a couple of weeks ago uh we had the the um the number of classified drivers over 17 and a half and then this week the under unclassified drivers um bets like like those type of, of random props if you're just keeping an eye on those type of things and understanding what's going on with tracks and and what racers are, are competing um f- for what I, I think those are are really interesting yeah yeah definitely let's uh let, let's just talk about some some general overview stuff um whether it be um betting dfs um just how we're watching the race. Um, what 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 are you looking for to to change, um, whether it be in racing or or what do you think should be changing as we advance um, into into the season? I mean, it, it will be interesting to see how, if at all, and how potentially DraftKings changes the DFS uh, market. I guess because they the one thing that they changed this past week was the pricing. They raised the floor, as you and Dan talked about. And I don't know, you know, I, I haven't played DFS long enough to know if, like, it is a new sport for them right now. They're the only ones who are in it. So, like, could a big sweeping change come? Like, who knows? Because it's it's something they probably don't know a ton about either. And thought, hey, like, this is a, a huge market. People are very interested in it because of drive to survive. So let's just throw it out there and see what works. The, you know, I don't have any ideas off the top of my head of how they, you know, try to reduce the dupe problem because that's, that is the biggest, I guess, quote unquote issue from uh, our perspective, but do they, do they change the scoring so that it's either flatter or, you know, you get, some guys who, you know, have a chance to score 20 points 
even though they're you know stuck at 15th in the grid, something like that. Um, and how how those changes? It'll be interesting to see again how just like the general DFS market responds. Like, and we've got two weeks now, which isn't a ton of data, but we have two weeks to process and analyze it. And how does that change with the the race coming up? So um, I, I'm sure there there's going to be a lot of probably galaxy braining too of uh, how to avoid things. But yeah, I, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I don't think DraftKings will do anything as dramatic as, as changing scoring once a, a season has, has launched. I think that would be unprecedented. And I think that would also just, you know, they already have some core users, so people that have already started, you know, learning the game. I, I don't think they would do that. I, I think the easy fix is just pushing the salary limits up, uh, whether, whether it be floor, ceiling, or both. Um, the the first couple of weeks, it is there's a there's a group of drivers in the mid salary range where you're just not even considering using them. So if you push up the the Red Bull and the Ferrari prices, you push up the floor, maybe up to you know make the floor four k instead of three k. It is going to force people to make some decisions, um, and and I think that alone will will help the dupe problem because right now the player pool is the top four guys and, and then the bottom six or seven guys. So if if you can get six, if you can make every player in the pool viable, there's only twenty racers. There's only ten. Um, there's only 10 constructors. So if you can make at least every racer, and maybe not every constructor is going to be viable, but if you can make every single racer viable the combination of lineups is going to go through the roof and it's it's still such a a new product for for DraftKings it's obviously not a revenue leader for them the the biggest prize pool this upcoming race is only $150,000 but at the same time because it is so new i i do think that they're probably not putting a lot of time into it and it's one of the, it is a spot where i do think they will listen to their core user base so don't go on twitter and tell them they're stupid but if you see someone like me or sam or, or some you know justin freeman is a guy for for run the sims that's really been um diving into it if you see us tweeting about it tag DraftKings just mentioned that they we all think that that can help um and and i think they would listen because they're probably not putting a lot of time into it themselves um I, like we talked about earlier in the show, I do think we'll see different lineup strategies um, at the top of of um, of some of these tournaments. We we haven't had obviously, you know, Max and, and Sergio don't finish in Bahrain, but Ferrari cars both finish one two. There's going to be a week where you know, Charles Leclerc and, and Max Verstappen are you know they're going to rub elbows, and if they both end up out of a race the whole slate is flipped. Like those things are going to happen. So anticipate those things happening. Uh, you know, if you're playing single entry lineups, sure, it's going to be hard to fade them. But if you're playing 20 to 100 lineups, you should be building for that. So just anticipate some of those. I, I do think one thing that we're going to start getting a, a grasp on really quickly is ownership projections. I, I think we're going to we're going to be able to start really leveraging those and that will start helping us thinking through ways to just avoid or minimize duplicates, even if we, we, we don't see sweeping changes in salary and then just just paying attention to it. like we still don't know a lot about these cars or these teams yet we're only two races in you know all of these teams are still trying to figure out their cars we saw you know half the teams had a car crap out um on on sunday mercedes is still going to get their stuff together they still as as have many resources as any team that like money drives this sport mercedes is going to do everything they can to get it right are they going to push for a championship probably not 
but they're going to make DFS and betting hard at some point, I believe. And, and then we still haven't even had any weather at a track. So I think we're what, what we've seen, especially in, in DFS markets, um, just because it's worked two weeks in a row, I, I would not take it as gospel. Um, and to your point, Mercedes isn't going to might not compete for a championship, but they're sure as hell going to want to spoil it for someone else. Oh, absolutely. whether it's Red Bull, Ferrari, whoever, and you know, try to keep that name brand alive as well for as many races as they can. Yeah, de- definitely. Um, anything that you've seen the first two weeks that you're that you're loving or that you expect to, to stick around? Um, you know, again, uh, general racing, DFS, or betting wise. That's a really good question. I mean, so much. I think it's the the broadcast is certainly interesting to watch. And you know, you mentioned one thing I wanted to say at the at the top of the show. You you talked about the sort of data versus the film. I think the good side, like. I am very much on the data side as well, but the nice thing about this is these races only last two hours and you can basically get everything out of the race. Sure. You're not watching every single driver the entire time, but you understand again, you know, Leclerc was leading basically from the start and Max and him had had their battle at the end. You saw the, the Alpine jousting throughout the, the middle of the race when really, Nothing was going on at the front of the race or uh, at the front of the grid. Um, and and you get a sense of like which of these cars are faster than one another, which of the, the drivers are actually better than one another. Because again, like, you know, Alonzo doesn't finish the race. And if Ocon is starting ahead of Alonzo next, you know, I, I want to say next week, but in the next race, I'm I'm for sure going with Alonzo because he looked like the stronger driver. He he was able to overtake Ocon, and it was just like tough luck that his his car cracked out. And so, not taking too much into you know not taking too much stock into some of those types of things again, like with the Red Bull thing, um, stuff like that. I, I do think there is quite a bit of not a ton. But specifically, this might be more along the lines of betting where markets are changing more dynamically is paying attention to the news and understanding what the teams are saying and what some of the reports are coming out. Because, again, we we heard last week that Red Bull had fixed their issue and they did. <laughs> yeah. and they were totally fine. Um, and I think once Mercedes says, like, yep, we're good, we're ready to go, like we've got this down and then we see a result then there's going to be a lot of trying to figure out, okay, of these six top six drivers, who do you pick and who's going to win the race? Yeah. I mean, like you said, the throughout the the week, um, as you said, pertaining to the betting markets, those markets are, are fluid almost down to the minute. So getting value, um, you know, it, it still takes a fair amount of work and DFS as well. But the thing that I'm really loving about uh, Formula One DFS is that you really can't do any prep till qualifying's over. Like you could get an idea of how like lineups might work and how salaries might fit together. Sure. But um, everybody is like on that same uh, even playing field that until qualifying's over, we got about 18 hours to qualifying to be done, to, to the race starting, to, to figure out what everybody's doing, how, how things are going to shake out ownership-wise and how those salaries fit together. So that's what I actually, I actually am really excited just about that aspect of, um, of Formula One. And, and like you said, if you are new, if you're, if you're only watching the, if you're only watching the, the network coverage, um, 
you're still going to get a ton of information. The great thing about it being a niche sport is that any major publication or anybody that has a significant following at this point in F1, they're giving like the, the big names, especially the European guys, they're giving you some very high quality, um, uh, content. It, it's, 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 it's really well thought out. It's really smart compared to a sport like NFL, where there's obviously a ton of great content, but there's also also a ton of horrible content that just people have no idea what they're talking about. And you just kind of have to wade through and, and, and figure it out. I, I, I obviously with formula one gaining popularity in the States and, and, and betting and DFS gaining popularity, um, we, we might, get it watered down a little bit, but right now, anybody that's established in the F1 market, um, in the media, they are very insightful and you could get a lot of really great information right now. Without a doubt. Yeah. So we have a, a two week break between races now. So we get to kind of digest what's been happening, sit back, um, for a couple weeks, but we will be back in two weeks with the preview show for the Australian grand prix um it'll be two of myself dan sam or jen on here again a crazy time for that race so uh be prepared if you're on the east coast to uh to have uh have your red bull red bull and vodka late night so you could stay up and and watch it um if you haven't um signed up for four for four yet if you sign up for a four for four betting plan right now all betting subs get a free subscription to bet spurts golf uh masters week is coming up bet spurts golf is doing a ton over there um you will get access to the four for four discord where you can get uh you know ryan and connor are up to to the second on bets to be placed whether it be golf nfl futures or any other sports you're into and i'm been in there the last couple of days on the f1 discord which we just launched so um if you bet if you sign up for uh, the betting or the DFS plan, you will get access to that F1 Discord. Um, if you haven't played F1 on DraftKings yet, check out the link in the YouTube description that will hook you up um, with access to DraftKings. And if you are into football, which if you're a 4 for 4 follower, you probably are, Underdog has a great promo. You can get a free 4 for 4 Pro Sub if you just deposit $10 on Underdog using the promo code 4 for 4. You will also get a bonus deposit match up to $100. You must be a new Underdog user. See the link in the description for that deal. As always, please like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening, please rate and review, whether it be on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else you listen to your podcast. And make sure you're following all of us. 4 for 4 is at 4 for 4 football. Check out BetSperts at BetSperts Golf. Sam is at Sam Hoppin. I'm at TJ Hernandez. Talk to you guys in a couple weeks.